Welcome to School Nutrition Dietitian. I'm your host, Dahlia Kinsey. I work with businesses and food service programs all over the country as a registered dietitian and school nutrition specialist to save operations time and money by maximizing employee productivity and happiness with inclusive wellness programs. Every week, I bring you tips and inspiration from fellow professionals in school nutrition and related fields so that you can level up your professional development. This episode is brought to you in part by Self-Actualized Pro. Self-Actualized Pro is a -a one-of-a-kind networking and professional development site. This community understands the intersection between personal and professional growth. If you're ready to keep your resume fresh, if you want to polish your digital presence, this is the place to be. For a tiny investment in yourself, that's the equivalent of like three cups of coffee a month, you'll have access to specialized trainings, and you'll be able to co-create future episodes of this show. Visit selfactualizedpro.mn.co so that you can take advantage of the risk-free one-week trial membership. Go ahead, see how much you love it. There's literally nothing for you to lose. This week, we have Laura Thomas on the show. Laura is an expert in adult education, and today she's explaining to us how we can transition from our face-to-face trainings to effective remote trainings. This is a very timely episode, but as we discuss during the interview, I think a lot of these trends are going to carry on into our professional training lives even after the pandemic is over. So pay attention. All right, let's get started. School nutrition dietitian here on a mission to show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious. Eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside. Keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind. Now you're ready for your academics. Focus, time to handle business. Breakfast, you don't want to miss it. Help your body to replenish. Clean food, clear mind. That is the vision. Tune in to the school nutrition dietitian. Laura, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, Dahlia. So I wanted to have you on because everybody now is kind of scrambling to adjust to this post-COVID world that we're in. We have a lot of training requirements that we need to keep up with, but the way we trained last year probably isn't going to work this year. So I thought, who better to have on than an expert who's been in adult education for a really long time, who has dealt with distance learning, to guide us through how we might navigate this school year and our required training. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to this issue because I think it is definitely going to be different, and yet it may be a little bit of the same, and I want to put that idea out there. Obviously, everybody has had, um, as as we know, the summer conferences were all canceled. So those Mm -hmm. in-person, face-to-face trainings are not happening. And we may not see them for a few months. We don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, So we're not going to have really large gatherings real soon. And that, for some districts, was their staff's training opportunity. Um, I know that people are aware of their state agencies offering webinars usually throughout the year, so that is certainly an option. People should be well, well aware of the Institute of Child Nutrition. I'm one of their in-person trainers, but we're learning to train virtually as well. 
So in addition to the online courses that they have available, they are now starting to do virtual courses. And they're going to be expanding that. So I would encourage anybody listening to this um, podcast to check the Institute of Child Nutrition. Their website is the ICN, like it's all one word, T-H-E-I-C-N.org, and find out what's available there. So there's going to be lots of opportunities um, for things that are online. Districts may also choose to do some things online. And we know that teachers were using Zoom for right. classrooms. And so that may be something in an individual district that's going to be happening. Yeah, we're thinking about exploring that for our in-service. So for some school districts where maybe the person who typically handles training is out, can we just get a little bit of a refresher on what the requirements are? How many CEUs are we supposed to be getting or documenting for every employee? What do we need to make sure we get done this school year, even with all that we have going on? Well, it, it's going to depend on um, a couple of things, and you need to check with your state agency. Um, the state that I live in, Idaho, I believe that they allow schools to use a two-year rolling time frame for their um, required credit. So, for instance, if somebody did attend the state meeting last year and recorded more than the minimum requirement, whether their position required four, six, or eight hours, depending on the amount of time you're working, then um, they would be able to um, roll those hours forward. So that may be an option for some people. Um, But if we're looking at having four hours of continuing education for part-time workers versus eight hours for managers, then we're looking at different options. And certainly we want to remember that adults come to learning experiences with a problem in mind. They are problem solvers. They come with previous experience. And now they've got some new experiences too. They oftentimes are going to need to have lots of different methods used. So some things that are verbal and some things that are written and some things that are more hands-on. And I think that's where districts can use a variety of options to meet the needs of their learners. And certainly we have to respect the knowledge that people have coming in. Now they have some new things to learn and we may be changing some of the methods or the approaches that we're using in the upcoming school year to um, that will require new training. And we may have to do some explanation of, yes, this is different because we have this different situation. And so recognizing that existing knowledge and that um, this is a new way of doing things and that we may be doing things one way in certain parts of our district and another way in other parts, depending on what the needs are and what the actual um, school day looks like for students. Right. What's an example of how you can incorporate a hands-on activity if you're doing distance learning? Okay, I'm glad you asked that because I think there's opportunities um, really to engage. One, I think we need to do, if you're using something like Zoom, you need to train your folks on how to use it. So introducing them to the screens and how they enter information in the chat box, how they raise their hand next to their name, all of that. So folks that are using Zoom will want to do that. But then you have that opportunity for the breakout rooms. 
And that's where you could actually have people do some things hands-on. If you sent it to them ahead of time, either electronically as a handout, or if you have to send it in the mail because of the distances, then um, that would be something as well. But you could have small groups of people working on something and they can actually write. And then when they come back to the big group, they could show a picture. Somebody could show what they accomplished or what they worked on. So that's one way of doing something a little bit more hands-on in a Zoom um, opportunity. You could also have um, someone demonstrate something. So for instance, I mean, we, we don't want them taking the laptop into the bathroom, so we want to go to the kitchen to wash our hands, but we can have someone demonstrate washing hands properly and just a refresher course for everybody on how we're doing that. Oh, that's a great idea. That tells you right there that this would be something that you have to plan out. Now, I've never used the rooms in Zoom. I knew that that ability was there. Is that for all levels? Is that the free plan too? Do you know? I am not sure. Most of the um, meeting rooms that I've been, people have had the paid version. Um, So we'd have to check that out. But I do know one of the things they recommend with it is that you wait until everyone's checked into the um, meeting so that you don't have um, latecomers, if you will. You Mm -hmm. can randomly assign people to the rooms and you can assign people. So for instance, in a school district, you could set up your meeting rooms by schools. So the staff Mm -hmm. that work together were in the same meeting room together and then they could discuss something and come back to the bigger group. You could, you could choose to do something like that, or you could choose to group um, into small groups um, by maybe the jobs that they do in the district. So maybe you're going to put vegetable prep people together, but you've got 20 of them. So you're going to split them up into four groups of five to discuss something about um, you know, what were the topic at hand. So you could do a lot of different things. And I think their tutorials in Zoom are really useful for that and the support system for it. Oh, that's excellent. How did you end up with so much experience in adult education? Tell us a little bit about your experience. So you mentioned that you work with ICN, you do in-person training, but you also have a background in nutrition and dietetics. So What has your career path been like? I'm a very proud graduate of the University of Idaho Coordinated Program in Dietetics. And from there, I worked a a clinical job for about a year and a half in the state of Idaho before going to work for the Dairy Council in Idaho. And that is where I learned so much about adult education. I earned my master's degree um, with an emphasis in adult education. Um, We worked with school teachers and implementing education in the classroom, health professionals, community members, and of course, school nutrition. I also worked in the Boise School District in the school nutrition program for three years. I was the computer person trainer for our computer system, as well as supervising up to 12 of our sites a year. And I did that for about three years. And then I decided to take a risk with a safety net, which was to take a part-time job outside of nutrition and go into consulting work. And luckily for me, I consulted with our State Department of Education in Idaho in the child nutrition program, developing trainings, 
providing trainings, doing ad the nutrition part of the administrative review um, for not only school lunch, school breakfast, but also childcare and summer foods, and doing technical assistance when the new menu patterns came out, and uh, just a variety of different opportunities, including I've, I've submitted proposals and spoke at SNA's ANC conference um, three different times. What are some of the nuances of teaching adults that you notice other people who are trying to instruct their staff may not be aware of? Like you mentioned, people come in with existing knowledge and they want solutions to questions or they want an answer for specific concerns. Is that something that people often overlook when they're trying to teach adults? I think the biggest thing um, that we all basically know is that we need to be well-organized. We need to know what it is we want to teach. And oftentimes, we try to pack too much into a time frame. We need to really devote the time to the, the content, introducing it, giving um, the background, whatever we need to do, um, but not boring people with the history. I don't mean that. Uh, putting it into a context and giving some opportunity for self-discovery learning. I, one of the things I love best about trainings when we can do them all in a large room is the learning that happens in the room with other people. And sometimes it's allowing people to discover the information for themselves, working in pairs or at tables. Um, so that's an important thing. And I think the other thing we really can focus on in districts is the follow-up. I get to see people once at a training, but if you're training your staff in a district, you can do follow-up. So you've introduced it. You can check in a week or two later to see, how is this going? Tell me about it. And listen to any struggles, because sometimes staff have very valid observations about something that's not as easy to do as we think it might be. And they can help us perfect the, um, the process that we're trying to change. Mm -hmm. And so some coaching, I guess is what I'm saying, is making sure that people have the ability to not only get the knowledge, get some practice with it, um, and then actually even having them, when we know that they're um, competent in the skill, teaching it to other people or demonstrating it to someone else. But sometimes I think uh, what I wish I had was that opportunity to do the follow-up. So I'm envious mm -hmm. of school district staff that can go in and see, so how's that going? We want people to go to training to learn to use the information, not just to go to training. Right. Now, when you were working in a district, when you did training, did you do assessments at the end on that same day or you use that method of following up? Well, I had the specialty area of teaching at the time the computer system we were using. So we had a computer lab where, first of all, we had to make sure everyone understood they could not break the computers. We, we would reboot them. They, would, they couldn't break them. So getting over that kind of thing. And we may see some of that. Uh, a lot of our staff are very comfortable with technology, but we've got a lot of new things right now. I know I'm a little hesitant to click on something if I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but what we did was we actually had that, because they were applying it and needed to use it in their job, we used more of that follow-up. Um, and we had a wonderful system where we could either phone call or we could actually see each other's screens. Um, so I could see what was not working for them if they were having an issue. So now, I think the follow-up is really important. Has screen share been something that you see people using more now that they're having to do distance training? Because that used to be a capability that you just didn't have. 
unless you were in IT, you typically couldn't show somebody your screen remotely. You needed special programs for that. But more and more, that's part of conference systems and chatting systems. You can share your screen. Have you found that useful? I think it's useful to have visuals. Um, and so sometimes that it may um, be showing a, a PowerPoint or something. I know that some organizations still, the screen share has some security concerns. And so you'll always want to work with your organization's security team to make sure that it's keeping everything safe the way it should be. That makes sense. You mentioned that you need to check with your state agency to see whether or not you can roll over hours from the previous year. But Mm -hmm. what trainings must take place every year regardless? Well, the one that comes to mind is civil rights training. And there, there's a pretty exciting development. Um, I mentioned the Institute of Child Nutrition before. I know they've been working on an online uh, civil rights training that should meet that requirement. I'm not sure if it's been released yet, but that would certainly be something for folks to keep their eyes and ears open and checking with the ICN, subscribing to their publications and notices as well. Because if we can take that off the list of the things that people have to do, it should be helpful. And they've added also some other courses that are in Spanish. So that should be very helpful to other um, programs that need um, training in more than one language. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So did they go through their whole catalog and make sure there's a version in Spanish, or it's just some of the new trainings? They're working on it. and Actually, the Spanish language is a little bit challenging because it is a different um, dialect or version in different parts of the country. So coming up with a standard version of Spanish um, is one of the challenges for a nationwide training. But there are several now, and I believe with the new um, virtual trainings that they have actually done some virtual trainings in Spanish. So that may be something um, to look forward to. And certainly if people are interested in that, make that request because as we all know, when we ask for something that shows the interest and demand, and I think that if they had interest for training courses in, um, that they would provide. They'll, they'll see what they know the need is there, but if you let them know the topics for sure, that would be helpful. Right. And you said because they're not doing in person trainings right now, they're developing more. Does that mean they're going to be doing live training? So it's essentially like the in person one, and you can comment and interact with the instructor in real time? Yes, they have offered already a series of food safety trainings that were virtual uh, um, live trainings, and they, uh, I just attended a training for their trainers. I was not in the group that started doing trainings, but I'm in the group that just attended a training, and they're going to start offering more and more of that. Um, obviously, everybody needs it yesterday, <laughs> and yeah. it's figuring out the logistics, the platforms, the internet, and all of those types of things. But it is something for folks to keep um, their eyes and ears open for. They'll probably work through state agencies or state um, SNA associations um, just for points. But if you're a large school district, you might want to reach out to them as well because they're just looking for who can support something, um, provide the, the uh, support, because obviously they have a small staff and right. um, the demand is going to be much larger, but they're, they're making strides that direction. So keep your radar screen up for that. Have you gotten a feel for whether or not some of these changes might end up being 
permanent or lasting because there's an expense usually associated with sending your employees to go do an in-person training. Do you think based on what you're hearing or based on how well these trainings are going that people may continually ask for remote trainings? I think we've learned a great deal as a nation about how we can work from different places. And so I see the opportunity for a school district in the future who had manager meetings. And maybe it will be easier to occasionally do that manager meeting as the Zoom meeting in the kitchen where people can, you know, see a demonstration or be able to look at stuff. I, I see lots of opportunity. I live in Idaho and we have a vast beautiful state that doesn't have broadband and high-speed internet everywhere. So we're going to have challenges um, across our nation depending on where we live and the internet um, capabilities. So that is something we're going to have to factor in. I think as people are using their smartphones more, uh, that we may be seeing people using those for trainings. So we may be able to socially distance so you may be able to do a class. Mm-hmm. One of the ideas I've always suggested is that specifically for some of the online courses that are available, if staff are not comfortable doing that by themselves, you could do it as a hybrid group activity by having people go through individually till they get to a certain point and then stop and discuss it with staff in the room, um, say it's a food safety topic or a nutrition topic. And allow for some interaction in between people before they moved on, say, to the assessment that takes them to the next section. So there's a way to do that if your district has a computer lab that allows individuals to log on to a site like the ICN. Um, Now you're going to need to socially distance and the cleanup procedure. So I'm not sure how that will all work. But if people were using, say, you're in an auditorium and they're all using their own phones and you, you could still socially distance and um, have the Wi-Fi connection that would support that, that might be a way of doing some things where people are looking at the same information um, and even like using videos to um, watch a video and then talk about it. There's some great YouTube videos that people could use for training. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's exciting to see how much people come up with and kind of sanitizing a Computer lab feels like a lot, but maybe as we progress, maybe there'll be more staff dedicated to that, and it won't be something that departments that aren't professional cleaners will have to take on. I just think in general, there hasn't been enough of an emphasis on hand washing. We already knew it was important, but you know, when you get a cold, because it's not fatal, you know, it's that you no one really worried about it in the past, but elementary schools at least all the ones I've been in have a sink in every classroom because the kids are always making messes. But beyond that level, we don't have a sink in the classroom. So people would continually have to leave the lab. They give all the opportunities to touch surfaces in between the lab and the bathroom. It's kind of a mess. We didn't set that up too well. We're definitely seeing that our systems, our environments need to support that actions we want to see. And I would agree, my example of a computer lab, that's what I used to tell folks when, um, before this. And, you know, there may be some ways people can be creative to access some of those trainings 
again, because maybe sometimes um, staff are not as comfortable doing that by themselves, and we want it to be valuable. That's the main thing. What I also wanted to mention is that um, training and the reason for professional standards is to help school nutrition professionals be better at their jobs. Mm-hmm. We're always wanting to improve. So I strongly encourage on-site, on-the-job training. For instance, looking at standardized recipes, and I work a lot with smaller school districts that don't always have a large administrative staff. It's very helpful, and it's very educational. There's a value to this. If a staff member were to look through a recipe they use and just verify, are these the ingredients we still use? Are these the steps we follow? I see great um, educational value in them reviewing it, making notes on the recipe, and then having a discussion with, say, you've got five or six cooks in the in the um, district. What's we want a standardized recipe everywhere. So what's the yield? Even just having people do a yield study, right, um, and documenting it. We can we can increment the professional training time in fifteen minute increments. So I think there's great ways for us to incorporate on the job task specific job specific information that helps the person doing the job become more proficient and it also helps the program with continual improvement because there may be things where yeah they know this is what it is but this is what they always do and it's not Mm -hmm. written down Maybe that just happens once in a while someplace. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure everybody has like no idea uh, what you're talking about with that. (laughs) I I do think it makes sense to make sure that the purpose of the training is clear. And I think that's a big deal for adult motivation is to feel like there's a sense of progress at work and in life in general. You want to see that you're headed somewhere, you're improving, and that what you do matters. So if you just go to training because you have to write down that you went to training and it doesn't connect to anything, it's not very interesting. Well, and the other thing I I think all of us like is we like to get information on something we want to know about. And yes, there are some topics that as dietitians, we have certain topics, like we have to have continuing education on ethics. But there's other things that we get to choose everything we want. And so I think sometimes asking, yes, there's going to be the standard civil rights training. That's going to happen every year. But also asking, what do people want to know more about? What would they like to learn? And trying to provide those opportunities in creative ways. So again, it could be in in small bites. And I'm, I'm a big advocate of that small bite. That's that's almost low cost, no cost training Mm -hmm. other than perhaps working on some handouts or some guides for people, um, setting it up maybe in a, in a group um, conversation about this is what we're going to do. This is the activity you're going to do in your kitchen. And then we're going to take these forms. We're going to come back and talk about it. I could see that being a very uh, low cost, but high return on investment type of training activity. Mm. And how would you document that? So if you had the manager do it on site and you know they did the first portion of the activity, would you count that time and the time that you go over it as a district remotely? Or would you only count the time that you know you knew for a fact the person was present? How would you do that? Well, I think 
if we're doing it remotely and we know that people are logged on we and we're explaining something so let's for example say we use 15 minutes to explain a new procedure for uh, we need to now bag uh, we've got a new piece of equipment so that we can freshly prepare vegetables but we've got to bag them so that they're um, covered because we're going to be doing some um, delivery into the classroom and we don't have our sneeze guard salad bar anymore so we're changing our operation so we're going to talk about that we have the piece of equipment in the um, the kitchen so now maybe the kitchen manager off of the the conference call or the uh, the zoom meeting if you will demonstrates the use of it and each employee gets a chance that's going to be using it um, gets a chance to try it and and see that they can do it and then maybe there is another activity where they um, so that maybe took 15 minutes and then maybe each employee does um, something with it and does a, a yield study to say okay I this is how I did this this is how we measured you know I followed this procedure what did they observe? Did it turn out? What was their count? Did it in fact work the way we want mm. to? I think that that could be a 15 minute. It might take, it might be that they're filling out the form during an hour or so of work. We probably wouldn't count the whole hour as the education activity, but I think you can, you can narrow it down. So that might be a way and then come back and talk again, a debrief and, and um, analyze the results and talk about things. That could be a way of doing an hour and it might take you um, a month Mm. or so to do that because you might spread those activities out because we're obviously have to get meals prepared and out as well. So that might be a way of doing something, just a, um, a simple example. And so you would need to sub, you would need to document each 15 minute session that you did. I think you would. Yeah. Okay. But that for each employee, that could be that they attended the, the online training. They attended the in-kitchen training. They performed a, a personal assessment using the equipment activity. And then they participated in the, um, the wrap-up assessment discussion type of thing. That sounds doable. Yeah. What suggestions do you have for adapting trainings to meet today's challenges in addition to the ones that you've covered? Well, one of the challenges I think we'll, we'll be facing is that we have been physically distanced and we're very social people. And so we may need to allow that. We need to allow for some socialization. People need to reconnect. We need to um, experience what we've done. So I would advocate that whatever kind of training you're doing, whether it's a Zoom training or an online training um, and modified in-person training for staff that you somehow build in some time either before or after the content letting people know they'll have a chance to connect it might be best to do it first so that then people are ready to settle into the topic but I really think we need to be aware of all of our human need and that is we are used to working together as a team and many team members have been at home and we unfortunately in some places have lost team members to the COVID mm -hmm. situation. And so there's, there's just a need for us to be able to connect. I don't think we could put people into a meeting and have them really be able to focus on the, on the task without us doing a little bit of reconnecting. So I would encourage people to plan some reconnecting time. That won't be counting towards our education time, but we really do need to plan that um, connecting time when we initially get back together. 
How do you facilitate socializing long distance with a group? You have people with different levels of tech ability. My friends and I, we've been staying connected via chat, via, we're very comfortable though with technology. And when we've helped grandparents or parents that just aren't tech savvy, we've had to find ways for them to be able to just chat. Otherwise it takes so long, they don't like it. They get bored with it pretty quickly. So how would you handle that with multiple people? Well, I think it might be that um, you're right. We're not going to be able to take a group of 300 employees. And I mean, that would be a lot of groups to break them into. Um, Or a lot of the, I I have been on meetings where the chat box was going past me so fast. So that you can't keep up. Yeah. Right. So it it may be just offering some opportunities for, um, or encouraging people to um, connect a different way. Maybe having your own private Facebook book group for your district for people to be able to connect that direction. Um, So lots of, I think there's, it's just something we need to be aware of that as we come back. um, And some people maybe have been staying in contact together um, socially as well, but other people, like you say, um, even in these times, my mom's never been a big person to talk on the phone. If I can get her to stay on the phone for 15 minutes, that's a long time. (laughs) Yeah, some people are like that. Some people really are particular about how they like to engage with other people. Mm -hmm. I know anytime I pick up the phone and it's my mother, I know that if I don't have an hour, don't pick it up. Like that's that's understood. But her mom, I swear, grandma always was so quick to get off the phone. It's just not her her thing. But she really did like video chat, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to icebreakers and getting people to where they feel like at least they're communicating with the whole group, do you have any fun icebreakers that would work whether we're in the same room or long distance? Well, I am an advocate of content-related icebreakers for most trainings. So um, rather than asking people a question that is not related to the um, topic at hand. So let's say we're reviewing the meal pattern, um, putting, having them. And again, I'm, I'm envisioning people in smaller groups, not the, the whole large group, but just having people identify which component of the meal would you be and why. So hmm. you could say that, you know, um, oh, I'd be a meat meat alternate cause I'm a little nutty. It, or, and give them a couple of examples of, of what it is. And they could, ex, you know, in our, in our staff meetings, we know each other. So it's just kind of a little, but that's also a review. Um, and some people may get the meal component incorrect. So that will give the facilitator some information to go back with later. We're not going to, you know, correct the icebreaker, but it would give you some idea of, oh, okay, we need to clarify that, um, that um, cheese is a meat, meat alternate and isn't considered the milk part of the meal. Mm. Oh, yeah. I like that idea, tying it all in. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. I think this is going to be really helpful. I'd love for people to reach out to me. You can um, find me at laurathomasnutrition.com. There's a way to contact me. And if I can give you any other ideas or help with trainings, I know I'm reaching out to a few states that I normally did summer trainings at to see if they'd like to have a, a training on just the new world and see what we can come up with. So I'd be happy to help anybody that, that's looking for some solutions. 
Excellent. Thank you so much. Laura shared a lot of useful tips in that brief interview. What have you been doing to stay connected to other people while maintaining social distance? Please reach out on Instagram and share what has been fun for your team or maybe in your personal life. What have you found fun and engaging as far as distance hangouts? I participated in a really fun escape room game a couple of weeks ago with a group of friends. The connection felt stronger than what you typically get in a less formal hangout because we were playing a game together and there was teamwork going on even though we weren't in the same room. A lot of people and their problem solving skills really shined. A lot of us revealed that we have less problem solving skills, but that was funny as well. And yes, I am talking about myself. We almost almost got out of the room. I believe we were just a few moments shy of escaping. I blame the facilitator. Uh, That's probably not at all whose fault it was. But nonetheless, it was really fun. So be sure to reach out and share what has been working for you. Thank you for joining another episode of School Nutrition Dietitian. Remember, the only fee for the show is that you share it with others anytime you hear something useful. Hopefully, that will be every episode. If you enjoy the content that you get here, be sure to check out Self-Actualized Pro. There, we can dig even deeper with your professional development. One of the keys to leading a happy and fulfilled life is having good work, that is, meaningful work. If you want to make sure you're getting the most out of your professional life, Self-Actualized Pro is where you need to be. The link is in the show notes. All right, everyone, be well, stay safe. I'll see you next time.